How can digital platforms make resources discoverable, easier to reuse and more valuable? Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Wheatman, and I started this podcast to help people discover why circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. Some people think going circular means swapping a few materials or making things a bit more recyclable. But that's nowhere near enough to create a healthy, resilient and zero carbon world where we can all thrive. Many organisations are missing the game-changing potential of going circular. The disruptors in this space are using circular strategies to reimagine how to create value for all their stakeholders. They're doing better with less. We'll hear from those inspiring people who are challenging business as usual and rethinking how we design, make and use everything. You'll find the show notes and links at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to podcast updates, my Circular Insights newsletter and check out my award-winning A Circular Economy Handbook. Hey there, Circular Economy aficionados. It's episode 114 and thanks for listening. We're going to hear from Daniel Keitzer, the Director of Ecosystem Growth at Reaply, a digital sharing platform aiming to scale reuse by making resources discoverable, easily transferable and more valuable. Reaply was started in 2016 and has won lots of awards, including Most Innovative Reuse Company at the Reuses in 2021. It's backed by a number of early stage investors, including Microsoft and Salesforce. Daniel Keitzer provides strategic, organisational and technical support to Reaply clients and their partners. He's a circular economy and sustainability professional with over 10 years of experience designing and leading impact-focused projects with forward-thinking organisations around the world. Daniel's speciality is market development for reuse and recycling, but he also dabbles in social entrepreneurship, sustainability in the built environment, water, carbon and more. We'll get an update on how Reaply has evolved since my original conversation with Tom Fekarotta back in 2020, in episode 31. Reaply's another disruptive startup that began with a low-cost, minimum viable product, MVP. Founder Dr Gary Cooper was studying at Northwestern University in the United States, trying to find a cure for Parkinson's disease. Funding for research was being cut and yet usable lab equipment and consumables were going to waste. Gary Cooper noticed lots of things that weren't being used, from chairs to plastics to chemicals. At the same time, he kept hearing people saying, oh, if only I had this or that. Cooper realised that what they really needed was a resource sharing platform, and that started out as a cart that he pushed around the campus. Demand increased and that humble cart soon grew into a business. Reaply's digital sharing platform enables organisations of all shapes and sizes to create sharing economies for a vast array of resources. Everything from artwork and interiors to large steelwork and infrastructure. 
So far, one million reusable assets have been posted on the platform, which brings together over 3,000 ecosystem partners. Last year, $2.4 million in value was recaptured, avoiding over 68 tonnes of embodied carbon. We hear how Reaply helps you get the most out of resources you already have, enables you to exchange materials, equipment and other things when you need to, and make valuable new connections. Data aggregation unlocks so many opportunities. Daniel explains how Reaply helps you create inventories, manage the reuse process and keep things local to minimise both costs and emissions. Reaply also helps you measure the benefits, economic, avoided waste and carbon savings. Daniel explains the benefits of aiming for the highest level in the value hierarchy, reuse, and why local exchanges are important. It feels like so many organisations could be tapping into these solutions so they could do better with less. Let's hear from Daniel now. Daniel, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Yes, thank you. And good to see you in your storage room with all the bike gear hanging in the background that always um, takes me. Anything like that takes me back to mount, my mountain biking nostalgia from several years ago. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we're here to, here to find out how things have evolved since I interviewed Tom Fecarotta back in the summer of 2020. And I think it would be good to start, for those who didn't hear that episode, with what Reaply does now. Yeah, happy to, to give a little a little intro. Um, three years and Reaply's timeline is like a million years in, in normal people's lives. So lots of lots of changes over here and lots of growth. But um, for, for those that are new to, to Reaply, uh, we're a, a climate technology and services company um, helping to bring circularity to every business. That's our that's our mission. Um, we do that through a combination of software platforms and services uh, that help that helps to bring visibility to underutilized resources uh, and then uh, to circulate those underutilized resources to folks that can keep them in highest and best use for the longest amount of time possible. So what what kind of things would be in that category of underused resources? Can you name, name a few random examples so people get a feel for what kind of things are in there? Yep. Yep. Um, so Reaply works with a lot of kind of larger businesses and enterprises um, and uh, focuses predominantly on built environment materials. So uh, anything that goes into building the buildings that we see around us and all of the stuff that goes inside of those buildings as well, all the furniture, fixtures, equipment. Uh, that's been a really hot topic for us over the last couple of years is you know, how the, the nature of how people work has changed quite a bit over the last couple of years. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of resources that are going underutilized in that space that, that we're working to, to help capture and, and bring new life to. Mm. And customers can kind of exchange those in different ways. They can sell them, donate them. Um, other companies obviously can, can buy. Is there any kind of um, preference for one or the other? Uh, uh, you know, is there more donating than selling and buying? How, how does that play out? 
Yeah, so as we as we kind of look at our our ladder of highest and besties, the the first thing that we that we're really trying to help companies understand and and we're and trying to help enable here at Reaply is how do we facilitate the internal usage of stuff that they've already bought. Um, and a lot of the times that uh, that that's really a visibility challenge in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So one person in one building buying something doesn't know that that same exact resource is available in another building and somebody else has already bought it and it's just sitting there idle waiting for someone to use it. Um, and so we're trying to solve that challenge of, uh, of kind of knowledge transfer um, so we can maximize how stuff is used inside of a company. Um, once we do exhaust all of those possibilities and let's say like you know this the office chair is truly no longer needed at a, a large organization. That's when we then take that next step to understanding how that asset, that material can be utilized uh, in their local community. Um, that local piece is really important for for how we work. We want to make sure that value is retained locally. We want to make sure that we're not moving stuff so far that it negates any environmental impact that the action of reuse might have. Um, and so we're so so we then try to find folks in the community that can use it. That may look like a, you know, a cell of a material if there's still a lot of value that's uh, retained in that. When we're talking about furniture, especially office furniture, that's usually uh, a product that retains a lot of value over its life, especially if it was uh, a you know really high quality, expensive product to begin with. So, um, so yeah, if something is relatively new, relatively untouched, uh, it'll typically go into a resale kind of scenario. That's really good when we think about highest and best use because if someone's willing to to pay a little bit for something, that means that they're already kind of thinking about that through a value lens that they're likely to to keep that in use for for a longer amount of time. Um, if we if there aren't any resale opportunities or maybe that value isn't there in a material, then that's when we'll look at donation of a material maybe to an organization that might not be able to afford a high-end piece of office furniture or you know has uh, employees sitting on old chairs with holes in it that they need to uh, that they need to upgrade to something new um, if the if the reusability of, of something just truly isn't there uh, then we'll take that next step looking at you know are there remanufacturers are there repair organizations that uh, can can do some work to it to, to add some life back into the product. If that possibility truly isn't there, then we'll think about the you know, recycling end markets. Um, usually, by the time we get all the way to to that rung of the ladder, um, you know, we're that that's kind of, that's typically where stuff ends for us. There's not a lot of things that I say you know can't go into a recycling style end market, but um, but but you know, our goal at the end of the day is to always avoid burning stuff and to avoid throwing stuff mm. into a giant hole in the ground. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, and and as you say, it's all about staying as high up on the value hierarchy as possible. And I guess thinking back to when I interviewed Tom, um, I think I've and when I talk about Reaply in presentations, I describe what the platform does as a kind of translation engine between either different departments or different organizations because and and typically with fixtures and fittings companies probably don't maybe don't even have them on an inventory list 
um, you know, there'll be a purchase order for it, but whether it's whether it's described in the company inventory, and if it is, um, it won't be described in the kind of it, it, in such a systematic way that you that of the kind of thing that you'd use if you were talking about your bill of materials for production. So I can imagine there are lots of instances where people just don't know what's available, and it'll be in some kind of underground vault somewhere, and and you know gets forgotten about so i'm guessing there are some quite interesting stories of just how much value companies have have got out of doing this yes definitely and i think like to to your point on uh, on just that initial challenge of not understanding what's what's there you know i think what what we tend to see is that the larger the company the messier the data environment that they that they live in on a day-to-day basis so um and, and that's where we really see a, an opportunity for technology to provide a little bit of an intervention there um and you know and and to get to harvest data in in easier ways to make that available and then you're you're spot on with the translation layer side of this as well um you know it's not just about harvesting data but putting that information in a way that other people can understand and interact with is, is also super super important mm. um yeah and and it's it's been re- there's a there's a couple of spaces that we're really active in from an industry perspective where that translation piece i think it's it's really interesting like if we're talking about building materials and you had know, those those types of uh you know wood lumber coming off of a deconstruction project um the the person the the organization that has those materials and might be deconstructing that building is measuring things in weight that they're measuring things in dumpster mm. volume you know they're measuring things in a very different way than an architect needs to see that material or another general contractor that's building a project needs to see that information so um creating that moment of translation from how one organization might be looking at something to how another organization needs to look at something to put it into use so it is, is super super important Mm, yeah, that's interesting, and that just reminds me of a recent podcast um, with uh, Stephen Bethel from Bank and Vogue, and he was looking at recycling and reusing clothing. And one of the things he was doing was talking to clothing manufacturers to find out how Bank and Vogue could become a supplier to them of either remanufactured parts or. Um, suitable materials so it was all about engaging with the buyers in the same way that you're engaging with the architects to understand what kind of information they want to understand what kind of volumes are useful because it's all very well talking in the right language but if the architect needs several hundred of these types of beams or whatever um, and you've only got 20 then you know that doesn't work either so it's kind of understanding how you move into that new value network and what mm-hmm. kind of conversations and data um, is needed. Um, so yeah, it's one of the, I guess it's one of those things that sounds very simple on the face of it, <laughs> but the actuality is completely different. Exactly, exactly. So what kind of benefits, if I was a business doing this, what kind of benefits might I see from um, using the Replay platform? 
Yeah. So, so obviously there's a, you know, there's a really strong sustainability element to all this. That's the, the world that I tend to, to live in, uh, here, here at Reapley and beyond. Um, and, and so when, when we look at the, the, the sustainability, the sustainability benefits of, of doing reuse and of maximizing, uh, the, the kind of lifespan and value of, of stuff around us, we're typically looking at an embodied carbon savings, um, which is, uh, you, you can kind of think about it through the lens of like the embodied carbon associated with all the stuff that you don't go out and buy because you're using the stuff that you have for longer. Um, and, and, and in the broader context of scope three reporting, especially around purchase goods and services, that's a really, really important, uh, kind of mechanism to, to, to be, to be measuring. Um, we also obviously look at landfill diversion, although, you know, I, I would say like landfill diversion is a tricky one because all of this stuff that we're facilitating reuse on, like if you're truly thinking about sending that stuff to the landfill, like you're already making some, some mistakes, but, mm. uh, but we hope that, you know, by, by facilitating more and more reuse, we help to, to enable that landfill diversion metric as well. Um, and, and that's a, that's a really, really important one for a lot of the organizations that we work with. Um, we capture a full suite of value metrics, uh, as well as reuse as being facilitated. Um, that's uh, uh, similar to how we look at embodied carbon. Uh, we look at avoided purchase costs uh, on new stuff um, and, and the value savings that are cre that's created by that. Uh, we also look at value distributed to the community, uh, whether that's like in a, a resale action or in a donation action. Um, and then internally for a company, there's a whole uh, kind of host of, uh, of data that I think is super insightful around like purchasing behavior and habits. Like if there's a particular category that's moving really, really well inside of your company on Reaply, uh, that might inform purchasing habits for buying that product new into the future. Um, conversely, if there's uh, assets that aren't moving very well on Reaply, that should, yeah, and, and you know, demonstrating that there's not a lot of demand uh, internally or externally for that material that might inform again purchasing is that something that we need to buy into the future because our people don't really seem to like it or seem to want to mm. use it um and yeah if we're talking about more of the kind of pure waste material side of things like if there is no market for this material can that inform our production processes and kind of give us some insights into maybe what we need to change uh, from a manufacturing perspective to not produce that material in the first place. Mm. So thinking about one of the office examples, I guess if there were several kinds of chairs or different kinds of, of floor covering, say a, an interface tile versus a whole piece of carpet, it would then be useful to understand which kinds of chairs are perceived to last longer and stand up to wear and tear and which kinds of carpets are easier to reuse. Um, and that could all be useful information once it's scaled to go back to the manufacturers themselves. And that, that could be really powerful, couldn't it? Exactly. Yep. That's our, that's our eventual hope. Um, and, you know, and I think that's also, you know, in, in the, the furniture world in particular, like there's a couple of standout brands, there's a couple of standout products from those brands that um, we know retain 
the most value for years and, and even like after the warrantied lifespan of those products like you know 15 20 years later like you still have a very durable typically in very good condition office share at the end of of that of that first life um yeah herman miller aaron chairs are like the gold standard there's been a mm. ton of press that's come out about uh reuse of those in the in the recent months but uh the chair i'm sitting in now from Steelcase, another great example um yeah of of just super durable really high quality products that retain a lot of that value. Mm. Um, but, you know, and, and in that kind of value retention, I think it's really interesting for companies that are purchasing materials or, or maybe making a decision today, like what, and evaluating what chairs they, they buy and bring into their new office space. First, they should be looking at some remanufactured chairs or some chairs for free, mm. free. like call, call me, let's talk. But if you are talking about buying new chairs, like, Maybe you should be spending a little extra on the front end to get something high quality that we know is going to last, that we know has resale value, because that's going to come back at the end of it all at the you know, 15 years down the road when you are refreshing those chairs and getting rid of them. They're still going to have value. You're going to get a little bit of money back from, from that transaction mm. versus if you go with the lower quality chair at the beginning, that's not going to retain that value in the same way. And you're going to end up spending more at the end of, uh, of it all when you have to go and, and get rid of that thing. So, um, so those are the types of kind of decisions that we're, we're hoping to, to influence over time. Mm. I mean, I guess it's similar to something like, cars where you know cars have several ownership cycles over their lifetime and there's information out there that helps you understand how that car will depreciate over the particular period you know you might be buying a new one you might be buying one that's um, two or three years old you might be buying an even older one but it's easy to find out roughly what you would expect to get for, for that car when you sell it in a few years time and that kind of information helps people choose cars that have, you know, better better performance, better reliability and, and better durability. And there's no reason why we shouldn't expect that same level of information for all sorts of other categories of products. And that's what we seem to have, um, you know, lost lost our way on. People, people think about the purchase cost, particularly business buyers are often targeted on achieving the lowest purchase cost and not the best lifetime value for their for their company and that's all just gone a bit a bit wrong hasn't it really exactly yeah the and the car analogy i think is really interesting too because you know with that there's also services that'll give you data on if that car has been in an accident or not and what parts have been repaired and what parts have been replaced we're looking at that in the same way for an office share, for example. So, you know, we'll put a QR code on the bottom of it. It can be scanned. That that asset can be updated if anything substantial has happened or changed to it over the course of its lifetime. Uh, and that data, that kind of, you know, in a way you can think of that as like the digital product passport to use some, mm. some buzzwords of our time. Um, but that data is super, super important for folks to understand, you know, and to make decisions on what happens to it in its next life. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And Daniel, how do you see things evolving? And, and are there any future plans that you can share with us? 
Yeah, I think like, you know, we're so so we're really excited about a, a couple of, of recent developments in the technology space. We're really excited about uh, some of the new developments in AI, uh, especially around how that helps us uh, ingest information faster uh, and helps our users uh, add information to replay faster. Um, we we just rolled out a, a new feature around that. Uh, a couple months ago, um, at the time that, that this airs, so it'll probably be six months or so um, in in the past. But um, where you can you can add uh, just the title of a listing that you're trying to put on Reaply, press a button, and it'll populate all of the details about what that product is. So its weight, its market value, um, which is which is super super cool and incredibly powerful for for folks, especially if we're talking about users that might not be super, super familiar with all the details of their of their office chair. Um, so we're, we're really excited about that. We're really excited about also what that means from like a, a matchmaking standpoint, like how do we you know, use the, these tools to facilitate more transactions on Reaply uh, and, and to drive more, more impact in that way. I think like from a broader industry perspective, um, I'm really excited about some of the new developments around product data, especially in the embodied carbon space. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of companies, and and we've we've kind of seen this trend starting with uh, building materials and building products, but a lot of companies are being pushed right now to provide environmental product declarations, mm -hmm. EPDs on products that say exactly what's in them, that, that spell out their global warming potential. Um, but that data is so, so important. And, and it really enables uh, a, just a cascading effect of, of, of decisions to be made on that product down the road. Um, and you know, so I think we're going to continue to see that trend um, and continue to see that trend being pushed with furniture manufacturers and folks that are developing products that aren't building materials. Um, and, and so I'm really, really excited to see how that develops. But I think that speaks to like a broader industry need, like we need to be more transparent. We need mm. to be pushing one another as companies, as organizations that are working in this space to to build better products, to, to make things better, to be more sustainable. Um, and, and that transparency is just so, so important in that regard. Mm. And it plays into so many other areas, doesn't it? Like water consumption and whether companies are returning clean water to the communities and, um, you know, is, is this is this product likely to, to cause pollution along its life cycle because it's got mined minerals and all the rest of it? There's, you know, mm -hmm. I think the whole thing around um, life cycle assessment and product passports is, is going to build out to be um, much more both robust and comprehensive um, than just looking at carbon. And, and Daniel, in the time that you've been at Reaply and your area is kind of um, around the ecosystem of, of Reaply, isn't it, with its with the um, the clients and and the other and the organisations that you interact with? What have you struggled with, and what surprised you over the over the period? Oh, um, you know, I think it's it it for for me. Like, I think some of the biggest uh, the biggest barriers that we're up against is really uh, it, it's really creating that mindset shift um, and kind of changing. Uh, culturally, how we think about materials and how we look at materials. Um, you know, there's 
unfortunately today i think there's still a lot of stigma around mm. a reused product around a secondhand product around a refurbished product um and and we we really want to break through some of those those barriers um especially with some of our some of the largest companies in the world that are making these these decisions and think that they have to buy the newest shiniest fanciest looking thing to to keep their their employees uh, happy and and you know to to give them that competitive edge in the in the market, that has to change. Um, and we we have to we have to start uh, we have to start looking at things with a new appreciation for for what those things are. Um, so yeah, that's and and whether so whether we're talking about you know a a super large enterprise or a really small organization, I think just like breaking down that that stigma uh, is just so so important. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful in that department, you know, and I, and I do think we are starting to, to see some changes slowly, but surely, um, I think there's a, there's a new generation of, uh, of people that are mm. coming up that, uh, that do have that appreciation. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of new energy and momentum around historic preservation around telling stories about the stuff mm. that's around us. Um, and, you know, and I think that gives us glimmers of hope and maybe some threads to, to, to pull on as we continue to push forward. But it's definitely we're, we're still rolling up a, a boulder up a hill in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I agree with the with the, um, you know, it does feel like pu pushing a boulder up a hill, but it does it does seem to be gaining interest and traction and in terms of remanufactured office furniture a recent podcast guest um Janina Nieper of Furnify in the Netherlands um they're very much about telling the stories of the furniture that so they're designing office spaces and then linking up with refurbishers and remanufacturers to reuse existing materials and also reuse the company's existing materials, the client's existing materials. But it's all about the stories um, with a QR code where people can kind of see where this has been used before and and quite importantly, who's helped refurbish it and, you know, what they were all about. So it's really building up a much richer story of what's in this, you know, what's behind this product. Um, so that's that's interesting. And Daniel, I'm guessing you have conversations with people who don't really know much about the circular economy and also with people who are excited by the prospect and want to do something more circular with their business. So obviously, um, you'd recommend that they use the Reaply platform. But is there another lesson learned or top tip that you'd share with them? Yeah, I think like yeah, one of the one of the key messages that I that I try to share with folks, especially uh, especially organizations that are kind of at their beginning of their circular economy journey, is to it, it's really just to to get started. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this like perfectly designed massive program where you're thinking about every angle and every element. Like there's there there's stuff today to get started on, and there's places that. Uh, are easy to get started that are easy to do and easy to implement. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, we think reuse is maybe one of those easier places mm. to, to start and places to think about. But even within that, like there's 
there there's products there's specific materials there's there's things that are easier to 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 start to reuse than others um and 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 that low-hanging fruit still has impact it's still really really important and Mm. creates that foundation to you know to build a bigger program on so you know whether it's just singling out a specific material category whether it's uh, starting in a specific location or in an office or in a room, uh, yeah, just getting started, I think is, is, is just so, so critical. Um, and yeah, and that for, for me, like from, and, and looking at this through a sustainability angle, the, the things that we can do today are so, so, so much more important than the things that we might be planning to do three to five years from now. Mm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, keeping that time scale in mind, like anything that we can do today is just super, super important. Mm. Um, you know, and, and we're here to help. So yeah, call, call me. Call, I, I mean, if you look around this space and, and you know, if you check the guest list for everyone that's been on this podcast, like there's people out there that are enablers that mm. are, are super passionate about, about helping and helping to build this, um, you know, and, and for the, for the businesses in the room, like, I think we're doing business, we're trying to do business a little differently, right? We're an impact driven organization. We're trying to create real systemic change in, in our world. Um, and, you know, we're, they're, sure, we're a business. We have to be. We have to be profitable at the end of the day. But we're also here to help. Um, and and we, and if there's a way for us to be helpful, we want to be helpful. So, um, so reach out and yeah, and and we'll see. We'll see what we can do together. Yeah, and I think it's it's a really good point that something like this can give lots of businesses a way into the circular economy without touching anything to do with the strategy or the product design. And if you've got people in the in the business who are a bit less on board with the circular economy, it can be a really good way to get conversations going and to start thinking about things from a different perspective, as we've said, thinking about the lifetime value. And when you start to look at what you're buying and the different value of something that lasts a long time is very um, functional, you know, high performance and durable versus something else that might not last as well. And then you think about, what you're putting into the market from that perspective and start to think about how customers might see things. Again, it can open up conversations that then lead on to, to big changes in the business strategy. So I think I think that's great advice. And Daniel, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing overnight, what would that be and why? Ooh, that's such a good question. I think my I think my magic wand might be might be more of a time machine um, that we, we can just interchange that. Um, one of the I think some of the bigger challenges that we have kind of day to day is when when companies come to us with a, an emergency, a problem that has a two week timeline of stuff <laughs> that has to get out of a building. Um, and yeah, and, and that that time crunch is just so, so challenging for so many different reasons. Um, so so I think my magic wand, if I could if I could jump 
ahead or, or jump back in time two, three months for all of those projects and all of those requests that, that come across their desk to, to do a little pre-planning, um, that would, uh, that would be, that would be pretty nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think like, that's also a little bit of a lesson learned to, you know, to, to some of the, the, the folks that we work with too, is just, you know, the, the more that we can get ahead of things, the better. Um, yeah. and, and the, and, and that, and the and the more that we can get ahead of things also the more that we can plan in advance to really truly push that agenda of highest and best use of a material yeah um, at the very last minute scrambling for solutions that's that's something that's not always possible yeah and that's when you end up in a in a fire sale isn't it with hardly exactly. any value being regained and daniel is there someone you'd recommend as a future guest from the program um, you know, so I, I get to work with a lot of folks that I, th I, I would say, you know, are are really at the front lines for a lot of this work. Um, there's a there's an organization uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, called the Lifecycle Building Center. Uh, executive director is Shannon Goodman. She's phenomenal. She's fantastic. Has just been a, a a champion for all of this work for many, many, many years. Um, but uh, Lifecycle Building Center is a, a building material uh, a reuse organization. They bring in all sorts of different building materials and building products and then make those available to uh to their to the community in atlanta whether that's you know homeowners doing smaller projects or larger commercial entities that are looking to use reuse materials and they they operate an amazing space they operate some really really cool programs around deconstruction training and making sure that there's you know a proper workforce development to to make all these things happen um, and i'm just so so impressed with with all of their work they're a, a phenomenal group that sounds amazing so yeah i'd love to, love to find out more about that and sounds like it would make a great episode thank you and daniel how can people find out more and get in touch with you and the team at reapley uh, yeah, I just head over to our website, reapley.com. Um, we uh, we have a bunch of resources that are available there, case studies and you know, best practices and other uh, other sorts of, of materials that, that fall into that category. So, um, so yeah, jump over to our website. Uh, you'll find all the right forms and things on there to, to get in touch with us and to get in touch with me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I did, I'd encourage everyone to, to jump over there. Uh, we're also active on all the social media channels that, uh, that that you're probably active on as well. So, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, feel free to hit us up on any of those too. Great stuff. And for those listening on audio only, we'll just uh, spell out Reaply. I know it's on your T-shirt, but yes. <laughs> those listening on, on traditional podcasting um, apps won't be able to hear that. So it's R-H-E-A-P-L-Y.com reaply.com great stuff so daniel thanks so much for taking us through some of the recent developments at reaply it's really interesting to hear how the business is scaling out and i like the sound of building this community around reuse and the circular economy so thanks for taking the time to share all that with us thanks for having me daniel highlighted the many benefits of reuse the highest level in the value hierarchy and why local solutions are key that reminds us of the importance of making purchasing decisions based on longer term criteria. Will this office chair have resale value when I've finished with it? Could it be refurbished or remanufactured? Or will it be worthless after just a few years, meaning I have to buy new stuff and increase my footprint? Cheaper stuff often ends up 
costing more to use with a bigger overall footprint. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. And please do share and rate us to help other people discover why circular is better for people, planet and prosperity. My thanks go to Daniel Keitzer, another circular economy fan working hard to disrupt the waste economy and help businesses do better with less. Thanks also to Stephanie Morris for making the episode possible. You can find out more about Daniel Keitzer and Reaply at reaply.com. That's R-H-E-A-P-L-Y dot com. And check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. The Circular Economy Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, the company I started to help you succeed with Circular. You can find information on my talks, workshops and advice, plus Circular Economy resources at rethinkglobal.info. And you can connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can do better with less. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. If you're just starting out with the circular economy, why not check out our Getting Started playlist on the podcast homepage. You could also buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out the interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening to the end. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.